Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. We've got some great Song of the Soul music today, coming out of North Carolina and delivered by Jonathan Bird. Jonathan is one of a rich tapestry of artists who are part of the Americana Agency, something you might want to check out for some music you could definitely enjoy. Jonathan Bird's music is sometimes down-home, sometimes quirky and playful, but it always has an earthy side with some deep thoughts and feelings sprinkled in, along with the fun. Jonathan Bird joins us from his home in North Carolina. Jonathan, it's great to have you here for Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. Your latest CD is Cackalack. That's not a word that I think a lot of people in Wisconsin or maybe over in Washington where people are listening or over in Iowa. I don't think that's a word that's well known around there. Where does Cackalack come from? Cackalack, there's no place that it comes from, really. There's no etymology for that word. Like Cackalack or Cackalacky just means Carolina. So I'm from North Cackalacky. My friend Jack Williams, he's from South Cackalacky. It's just a fun thing that we say. It's it's very old. It shows up in books in the 1800s, but no one really knows exactly where it came from. It's just a fun piece of southern mouth music. I read in the liner notes for Cackalack that this CD was really about you rediscovering, maybe embracing your roots there. And this is what, maybe your fifth CD, so... Are you finding yourself drawn more and more home? Maybe it's because your son was born, you know, over a year ago. My son definitely has something to do with that. Uh, It's much more difficult to be away from home now. And I struggled with that for a few months as far as, um, 
you know, I didn't have such a hard time being away from home, being away from my wife. But then my son was born, and I had a much harder time being away from home, just emotionally, spiritually. I questioned that, whether I love my child, whether I love my wife, or anything like that. I think the conclusion that I've come to is that the person you love, the person you choose to love, the person you choose to make a commitment to, that's a choice. You may not always wake up in the morning feeling that love for them, but you choose your love. You create that love. And that's what commitment's all about, is that throughout your life, you're working for that love. And you can fall in love over and over again, but some days you don't feel it and you still choose it. With my child, there's no choice about whether I'm going to love him or not. There's this feeling that's always there. It's actually wonderful to feel that kind of love, to feel unconditional love and that powerful love for the first time. I relate to that totally. I was stunned. My son was born, and I remember standing above him as he was sleeping, just crying because I realized for the first time in my life that I would no doubt take a bullet for this kid. I'd give it up all for this kid. And just knowing that selfless love was a spiritual transformation for me. Did you have that kind of uh, experience or opening? I think I knew that that kind of love existed. I think I knew on some level that it was possible, but I didn't really think about whether or not I would ever be able to achieve that. I think so my human goal was to always be working towards achieving that kind of love, but then it was just handed to me with this little boy. Well, I suspect that you've probably made some songs up about the whole experience. Do you want to start us off with the music for your song of the soul? How would you care to start off? Actually, there's a song that does relate. It's called Wild Ponies. And Wild Ponies is at its core, its core issue, it's about freedom and how we define the word freedom. Is freedom just being on the road and having no home and having no rules? Is that free or is there freedom within a community? Do limitations give you freedom? So there's the two characters in the song. The narrator is definitely from this place, and he loves this place, and this is his home. And then this the woman arrives, and she's wild, and she's traveling, and she's kind of crazy, and he has a night with her, and then she goes on out into the world. I think in the course of the song, the narrator just discovers that he treasures what he has, where he is. And that if that's freedom, if that looseness and that wild traveling lifestyle, if that is what she considers to be freedom, then that's not the kind of freedom that he wants. And that's a great intro to it. The song is Wild Ponies by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Jonathan Bird. She had legs like daggers and eyes like oceans And her heart locked up in a heart combination I took her to the island to see the wild ponies. I see, I had a friend who had a concrete boat. It don't take as much as you might think to float. And he lived out on the island. With the wild ponies We made a fire in the live oak trees And listened to the pirate breeze a-blowing And wondered how a man could be 
So far from home and still know where he's going But she drifted down from a shipwrecked town And landed here on the Pamlico Sound She'd heard out on the islands There were wild ponies Well, I gave all I could give to her A chance to see what she had heard And a night out on the island With the wild ponies But she didn't stay here like she didn't stay there Always looking for somewhere a little greener And every time I see the ponies run Scared and hungry, wild and young I see her Somebody say she died Drinking one night on the ocean side Swimming to freedom Like a wild pony I wish her well, I wish her peace It's got to be lonely to be so free Always running Like a wild pony Yeah, living your life Like a Wild Ponies, Jonathan Bird. His website is jonathanbird.com. Bird is B-Y-R-D. You can also find a link, of course, from northernspiritradio.org, my site. And Jonathan, the Wild Ponies captures something. and You may have something to do with horses or not, or that is some kind of a symbol of passion, freedom for you. Is there a real Wild Ponies in your life of some physical sort? Well, yeah, this lifestyle of traveling all the time and sometimes playing for people who are drinking and 
all these sorts of things, it, it really lends itself to a wildness and to a recklessness. I had decided years ago when I was 29 years old, I made a commitment to being a musician, and I had to figure out what that was for me. And I think I spent some time being a little wild, a little reckless, and drinking too much, and maybe not paying enough attention to my home life and to my health. So I think the song was in some subconscious way my way of letting those things go and making my own decision about who I was going to be. And I have to say, like, I'm not a conceptual writer. Like, I don't sit down with the concept, I want to write a song about this thing and then develop a metaphor and develop characters and that sort of thing. That's not the way I write at all. I sit down with a guitar and I start making music. And that music has a certain feeling, and then I find words that have that feeling. I often don't know what the song means for months or even years sometimes after I've started singing it. I know what it's about physically, but sometimes I don't know why I've written it until years go by. Sometimes even my wife will tell me what the song is about. <laughs> I don't know, but she'll tell me, and she'll be right. Well, give us some more music. I want to hear more how this grows out of you. Right after Wild Ponies, there's a track called I Was an Oak Tree. I was inspired to write this by a song called The Highwayman that was recorded by Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, and who is the fourth one? There was a group, a sort of super group of country songwriters put together called The Highwaymen, and they had this lead track called The Highwaymen. And it has this beautiful sort of circular logic to it. It's about how one spirit can travel through all these things. I was inspired to write a song that was similar to that. I discovered this story about a tree that makes a journey from the old world to the new world. And in the process, this tree, the spirit of the tree, examines the world, the new developing world, and what it means to be in this world. And so I guess I was examining the disparity between the new world and the old world. And here in America, we say something's 100 years old, and we, we say that meaning it's very old. You know, even in England, you say something's 100 years old, it doesn't have the same import to them at all. That's not old. It's just that there's a disparity between those two worlds, and I think the new world still has a lot to learn. We're almost like a teenager right now, and we think we know everything but we have a lot of growing to do and a lot to learn from the older civilizations. And a good way to learn it is to listen to The Journey of I Was an Oak Tree by Jonathan Bird. I was an oak tree It took a thousand years to grow And I've seen kingdoms come and go I've seen the losers turn to lords and back again I held the rebels when they hung them from my limbs When men of fortune cast their futures on the sea It's when they came for me And I was a slave ship Under the standard of the cross A hallelujah holocaust And half were dead before we reached the other shore and the captain never saw the coming storm That swept around the Cape and took us by surprise And only eight survived And I was a campfire A pile of driftwood in the sand The only comfort in this land And eight hungry sailors roasted acorns that they'd found 
And left me burning as they stumbled toward the sound Of a church bell ringing out above the ocean's wind And I was born again I am an oak tree Out along the wild Cape Fear And there is talk of freedom here Where is the kingdom that was here before I came? Where have the people gone who only left their names? A revolution's just a circle after all And every kingdom falls I'm an oak tree If it takes a thousand years to grow I'll see kingdoms come and go I'll see kingdoms come and go Wonderful song, I Was an Oak Tree by Jonathan Bird. And Jonathan, this is the song that when I heard it on a sampler from the Americana Agency that you're affiliated through, when I heard it on there, I said, I've got to talk to this guy. That, that is a deep song. There's one phrase in there that grabbed me. You're talking about the slave ship, when the oak tree is a slave ship going across. You refer to an Alleluia Holocaust. And I thought that uh, that carries deep sense and meaning. Talk about your relationship to the Hallelujah Holocaust. It's just, well, there was a period of time not too long ago when people were being enslaved and brought to the New World, and it was sanctioned by the governments and by the church. Everybody thought that it was okay to do that. It's amazing looking back now, at that and thinking about it from our perspective, it's hard to believe that that happened. It was done under the sign of the cross. It was done in the name of God in many places, and it was the most unholy, profane thing you could possibly think to do. And I think by examining that, by putting those two words together, I'm, I'm just creating this, this juxtaposition this sort of brings to mind something I just saw in Detroit, actually, where there would be entire neighborhoods that looked like, I don't know, Hiroshima the day after the bomb. They were just completely gutted and empty from all the people who have just evacuated Detroit since the 60s. This, this town has been losing people. And then right next door, right across the street, there would be a beautiful building, and people were very proud, and they, it was power-washed, and there, were, there was this beautiful landscaping. And it's that kind of thing, putting those two words next to each other, just to illustrate how these words don't go together, those actions don't go together. And hopefully we can look at things that are happening now and recognize things that are happening now that are sanctioned by our holy communities that are unholy. How do you relate to religion? Some people, when they see that kind of, I don't know, moral contradiction, hypocrisy perhaps, they say, well, I have no need for that bathwater, I'm going to throw it all out. How do you relate to religion or react against? It certainly can leave a bad taste in your mouth to see that religion can be used that way. Yeah, religion. Religion is a tough word. Religion, I think, defines a certain kind of spirituality. I, mean, I'm not really, I don't really care for religion at all. I don't care for a codified spirituality. I think there's a God and there's a spirit. There's a greater spiritual power. And I don't think anyone knows what it is. 
I think we know as much about God as a dog would know about putting together a stereo with stereo instructions. There's just We have such a limited understanding of what the spiritual power in the universe is. But that doesn't mean that we're disconnected from it. We're all connected to it. And I don't think we can understand it in a way that, say, some uh, leader of the community can say, God doesn't want us to eat pork. I don't think God cares whether or not you eat pork, and I don't think you know whether or not God cares if I eat pork. I can't believe in those kind of rules that God would have this, this sort of constitution for us to live by. So it's tough. Like, and then how do you define what's good and what's bad or what's holy and what's unholy? And I just have to define it for myself. That really clicks, kind of fits with my spirituality, even as a Quaker, because I, I don't think that putting God in a cage or in a box works or makes sense. <laughs> we, we do know so little. I would add that we can learn from each other. I don't think anyone can tell me what God's thoughts are, but we can learn from each other. We need to learn from each other. That's the strength that we, that's the spiritual strength that we gather when we're together and we can talk about God. We can talk about spiritual things in our lives. Because we all have such a limited understanding of it that sharing our understandings of God and spirituality is a really important part of being a spiritual person. That, too, makes a lot of sense to me. One of the things that maybe we've lost in the U.S. when they talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater is even when churches or religions are flawed, there's a strong sense of community where people bring forth what light they did have. And it may be flawed light, but community gets lost too easily in our way of thinking now. The only community we have is with our dollars and with the corporations, you know, the restaurants we buy from or whatever. We've suffered in terms of deep connection. So I'm glad you bring that up. We have, and even, uh, not even just spiritually, but I think culturally, America has, has lost a lot of its culture by allowing the profit motive to define our culture. Like, I'm traveling in Canada right now, and I don't want to say one country is better than another, but there's definitely much more of a roots culture and appreciation for roots culture in Canada. It's developed with all these folk festivals that's happened here for the past 40 years, and they're all over the place, and people are sharing traditional music and songwriting, and it's much stronger person-to-person culture of music as opposed to a corporation-to-person relationship where you turn on the radio and you listen to music and you go buy records and you're sort of you're consuming music rather than sharing music with your neighbors. There's much more of a sharing aspect to even the music business that's happening up here in Canada. Well, speaking of music, why don't you share some more of your music with us so we can get more inspired by it? <laughs> what do you want to do next for your Song of the Soul? Yeah, I think we always talked about some pretty dark things. And I would like to listen to a song called New Moon Rise. And this is just a song of hope. I don't want to say much about it. It's just a song about having hope for the future. New moon rise High on a lonesome night A faded dream In an empty sky I know you'll have another A chance to shine The new moon rise New moon 
new moon rise high in the skies above what goes down must come up and I Jonathan Bird, New Moon Rise, from his CD, Cackalack. Jonathan, i got to say, the, the weeping violin in there was beautiful. Uh, you have an entourage you travel with, or do you get to make more than just guitar sounds and vocals? Well, I'm a guitarist and a singer, and that's what I do. The band that I made this record with is actually in Toronto. A bunch of great players that I know in Toronto. I've spent a lot of time in Toronto my friend Corin Raymond is the songwriter who brought me up to Ontario for the first time. And we're actually on the eighth tour that we've done together since 2006 in Canada in various provinces. There was one day that I had, we literally had from 10 o'clock in the morning until 4 o'clock in the afternoon when everyone was going to be in town and available. And that was the fiddle player, and the bass player, the mandolin player, the banjo player. And there's a girl, Tressa Levister, she's a great singer and accordionist and a pianist. And then my friend Corin, it was on his birthday. So I had this engineer, Ken Whiteley, 
he's won Judo's, he's won Grammys actually for his production work. He set up this room for us the day before. He checked all the mics and he made sure there were no phase issues, no technical problems. So that at 10 o'clock in the morning, the next morning, we could walk in, sit down and start playing music. So we made the entire record in six hours and we had, it was very relaxed. We had this lovely lunch, we had pop soup and just what incredible musicians they are. That fiddle player, his name is John Showman. But there was actually a few days before that where we didn't know whether or not he was going to be able to make it. And I, I just said, I, if he can't be there, I don't want to make this record. I, his voice is important to the record. Things like what you just heard is why he really evokes the feeling of that entire song in that lead that he plays there. Let's go on to more of your music right away. Let's keep on moving so that we get all as much in as we can. What would you like to have next for your Song of the Soul? Father's Day might be an interesting song. My father was, he was an interesting man. He was, he liked fast cars and motorcycles. He could break a car down and put it back together, sometimes without the owner's manual. He just understood things like that. He loved them and he loved race cars and, you know, engines that weren't quite stock. And he worked on them all his life. And the fast cars, motorcycles, he loved beautiful women. He was a, a ladies' man. There was a while there when he was a big drinker. He loved drinking liquor. And he was also a Southern Baptist preacher for a while. So, you know, you can imagine there's this really complicated guy with a lot of desires and a lot of demons. And he had a difficult relationship with both of his sons. I think more difficult with my brother. My brother was the oldest. But the last time that I saw him was on Father's Day in 1999. And we had a great day together, which was sort of rare for us. And that was a blessing to me to have this last day with him be such a good day and for us to have a great time together. So I wanted to write this song. I wanted to write a song about my father. And I went through several songs before I arrived at this one. And this is the one that I... I think I originally wanted to write. It was Father's Day the last time I saw him alive. He was living up in Rockwell with his third wife. And we took him to the outback, cause that was the place. And he could eat a steak and still watch the race. And he thought Richard Petty walked two inches off the ground And I thought that that was dumb back then But I don't now So man needs a hero And he was mine I couldn't see it then But some things take time If I could sing this song for him today say son did you ever learn amazing grace as he could never give a compliment but I'd tell him that I loved him anyway and I'd say happy father's day he had a lot of bad habits and I get that from him he smoked Salem by the carton And they did him in and I can't help but think about those four heart attacks Every time I see a pack And I wish it held me back 
And I remember him so drunk that he couldn't see But he never laid a blind and angry hand on me And he died in South Carolina where he'd paid his way To rebuild a stranger's home after a hurricane If I could sing this song for him today He'd say, son, did you ever learn amazing grace He could never give a compliment But I'd tell him that I loved him anyway And I'd say Happy Father's Day But two Father's Days ago I went to see him It was me and my brother in a cold mausoleum And we took two chairs and two guitars and spent the day And you can bet I played Amazing grace If I could sing this song for him today He'd say, son, did you ever learn amazing grace And I'd say, yes, sir, and I'd sing it And I'd tell him that I missed him every day And by the way Happy Father's Day Happy Father's Day, Richard Gray Happy Father's Day Father's Day, Jonathan Bird, website jonathanbird.com And again, Bird is B-Y-R-D Father's Day, Jonathan, I, I think in some ways your relationship with your father echoes some of the things that happened between me and my father. And of course, these things are crucial in how we develop. You mentioned earlier that you had your own period where you did a lot of heavy drinking and maybe walked in your father's footsteps. His being a Southern Baptist preacher at the same time that he's, uh, I guess, a womanizer and drinker, those normally don't go together for Southern Baptists real well, do they? And and how did that affect you? I mean, you were raised, I assume, Southern Baptist then. Yeah, well, I think people are driven to go into the fields where they need help. I feel like I see that over and over again. So I think people who have spiritual struggles are driven to work with the spiritual professions or at least to be devout people because they're having these struggles with these spiritual issues. And I think I like I have a difficult time communicating. I've always had a hard time being a social person at a party, that sort of thing. And I think being a writer allows me to really work on my thoughts and get them together and collect them and put them in the right order and then communicate them in the best possible way. I feel like there's this sort of relationship to, to your problems that you have that you, in the profession that you go into or at least into the, the hobbies and the avocations that you have. So I don't think it's that unusual that ministers and clergymen would have some dark desires. The interesting thing about his drinking career is actually that it's a very physical and genetic thing. My brother and I went through exactly the same sort of arc, became heavy drinkers at the same time in our lives, and then quit cold turkey and so far never touched another drink again at exactly the same point in our lives. 
Wow, history does really replay itself for us. You kind of left him. You said the last time that you saw him, basically it left you on a good note, a good connection with him. How long ago did he leave? That was Father's Day in 1999. He died later that year. As I say in the song, he was working on a house. He was a relief worker at the time. He had gone into contracting, and he was part of a group called the Baptist Men's Group. They will pay for their own plane tickets. They'll gather their tools together, and they'll fly down. They went to Nicaragua after Mitch went through and devastated so many homes. They went down to Florida after Andrew came through, and they would help people rebuild their homes. He was building houses for a living, and then he was doing that as well. And he was on one of those missions when he died. I think you mentioned on your JonathanBird.com bio some stuff about you. I think you mentioned he was very active with Habitat as well. It sounds like a wonderful mixture, just like most of us are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, I think everyone that I've talked to loved him. It's funny, he had such antagonistic relationship with his children. Everyone else thought he was just a sweet guy. But, yeah, he he worked for with Habitat, and my mother also did some work with Habitat. Well, keep us going with this wonderful music. Again, it's from Cackalack, your latest CD. I was kind of intrigued that you didn't choose anything from your earlier, I think, four CDs. I'm just sort of focused on this CD right now. It's, it's doing so well. It's getting a lot of airplay, and I'm playing a lot of these songs at shows, and they're kind of like I have the strongest mental grasp on what these songs are, are about. I've been playing them every single night, so I'm feeling them kind of deeply right now. I'd like to go into, having just talked about my father, there's a sort of a self-sufficiency that he had. Where, like I said, he could work on cars, and he was a builder, and he liked to do things for himself and for his family. And that is, to me, a spiritual value, being self-sufficient in some way, or even a community being sufficient. And right now, in our modern communities, we're spending a lot of resources moving things thousands of miles. I was just in Fairfield, Iowa, which is, you may know, but uh, your radio listeners may not all know, home of the Maharishi University. There are people there from all over the world who are studying. Interesting place with lots of interesting different little restaurants. It's sort of a little a little oasis there in Iowa. Iowa is a beautiful state, but it's mostly farmland and and then there's a city with all this sort of international influence and this cosmopolitan feel. Not even a city, it's just a small town. I remember the restaurant we went to eat right before I played my show. The only thing that came from that area was a pork chop. There was a locally raised pork chop that they did. And everything else, it's like, I mean, there was tons of seafood on the menu in Iowa. And they would fly this stuff in or, you know, truck it across. 1,500 miles to get it there, and it seems I spent a whole day driving through farms, and I know people in Iowa are growing food, but the only thing that was available, like there's one item on the menu that was a local item, and that's the way we set up our system in America. It drives me crazy sometimes. That's one of the reasons I love living in North Carolina where I live. There's a really strong agricultural scene where I am, and although it's not the mainstream thing, it's not in every grocery store, it is really easy to find local produce and locally raised meat and to support our local people. So this song, this, this next song that I want to bring in, White Oak Wood, is about self-sufficiency and sustainability and using your local resources. It's about, there's, a, there's lines about cooking a hog in here and there's lines about firewood. 
lines about carpentry and sort of all these things that we do with our own hands and with our own materials where we live in North Carolina. White oak wood goes in green, smoke a whole hog and leave it clean. All I need is some white oak wood. I cut it short and split it soon. It burn all night in the afternoon. All I need is some white oak wood. The time to take my manic down. I got a hog, 300 pounds I cut up a drum and hinge a hood I feed everybody in the neighborhood All I need is some white oak White oak wood, it's a good veneer A pegs and plywood disappear All I need is some white oak wood It takes a stain and ages well I did it myself and I can't tell All I need is some white oak wood The time to take my manic I got a hog, 300 pounds I Cut up a drum and hinge a hood I feed everybody in the neighborhood All I need is some white oak Shady tree, slow to grow and a sight to see. All I need is some white oak wood. I got one on the old homestead, worth more life than it is dead. All I need is some white oak wood. The time to take my magic down. I got a hog, 300 pounds I cut up a drum and hinge a hood I feed everybody in the neighborhood All I need is some white oak wood Honey, all I need is some white oak wood The song was White Oak Wood. Jonathan Bird is the artist with us here today for Song of the Soul. This is Song of the Soul, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. Our website, northernspiritradio.org, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet. Come to our website, find links to jonathanbird.com and other folks. We've got archives of the past almost six years now, Songs of the Soul and Spirit in Action, just some wonderful, insightful, incredible artists that we have here regularly each week. 
Again, that was White Oak Wood by Jonathan Bird. A good song for North Carolina. I could relate to a lot of it. I I love the feel of community, and that's one of the things I think, Jonathan, that folks lose when you form your community with your supermarket. I mean, it used to be that if you didn't have a cup of sugar, you went to your neighbor. And now, because we all have cards or we can have a delivery service deliver whatever to us, we depend on the corporation instead of each other. And so... Uh, people hardly know one another, no, hardly know their neighbors. What's it like where you live? You got a good, strong local community? We do, but it's much the same. We don't really live in community. We we all know each other, but we're certainly driving distance away. We have a few neighbors who are within walking distance and we have relationships with, and, and my wife more so than me, because I'm not home very much. <laughs> I mean, speaking of using resources, and have to say I'm not immune to the way that's developed. I drive thousand miles a year to make my living but my community i think the best time i ever had with a community meaning the community where i live the people around me was after hurricane fran came through north carolina and devastated our area let's say the large 10 percent of the trees anything that stuck out above the canopy was taken down power was out for weeks and people were there was this instant community. Like I've met neighbors I've never met. The guy across the street was a hunter. He had a freezer full of sea bass and deer and turkey. And he, he just got the biggest pot he could get. And he made this enormous pot of Brunswick stew. We made a fire in the driveway. I had been making mead, which is sort of a wine made with honey. And I had five gallons of it that was just come of age and was ready to drink. And so I had that. Everybody in the community sort of contributed their thing. People had musical instruments people that I saw drive by the house on their way to work every day. I had no idea they played music. And we all got together and played music and shared stories and ate food. And it was the first time that any of us in that neighborhood had ever met each other. It was so great. I just wanted to, I wanted it to be that way. I wanted it to stay that way. Of course, it doesn't stay that way. It was enlightening to see what kind of community there was when we were stripped of all those outside influences and of all those resources that are brought in from long distances. No, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, and I saw how people lived locally, and they certainly suffered for lack, and there was hunger and starvation in the area where I was at. But I can say that their fun quotient and their delight with one another and that nurture is as strong as anything we have and stronger. I think they probably suffer from less depression than we do, in spite of the fact that their lives are really much harder than ours. I'm sure they would no doubt trade their place there for here, but I don't think that they have any idea what they'd be losing. And I travel each year. I go different places with the Quaker Folk Dance Group. So like three years ago, I was in Rwanda, a place where you would figure with all of the death that happened there in 1994, with their really immense rate of poverty, you'd figure that'd be a bad place. But when they got together and did music and dancing, wow, our communities here could only aspire to that level of spirit. I kind of think that maybe the rising price of gas is going to force us to be more communal, and I think we'll be happier for it. There's an interesting thing that's happening in my world right now. The economics of a small venue, the way the economy works now, it's pretty much impossible to run a small venue, to run a small coffee house that holds maybe 50 or 60 people and have musical events where people sit there for two hours and listen to music and maybe buy a cup of coffee. You can't pay rent on a building downtown and run that kind of a business. So what's happening now with what my friend Corin calls the small time, and I love that now, it was, it was taking the small time and making it into a real business. 
that the small time has moved into people's houses and onto these small festival stages. So house concerts are happening all over the country. In some parts of Canada, they've been happening for a long time, especially in the maritime provinces. In Texas, they've been happening for a long time, and they're pretty well established, but they have not nearly seen their heyday in the States. And a house concert, basically, is you get together anywhere from 30 to, I've seen them as big as 100, that's a lot. Maybe 60 people is sort of the max that you could do without even having a sound system. And people just get together. All the money that comes in goes to the artist. People bring food. And people come in from the surrounding community, and people have this little community experience. Like I said, there's, there's usually no sound system. The artist is directly face-to-face with these people. There's a small enough number of people that everyone can meet the artist. Everyone can get their CD signed if they want to. And it really is a community event. And you could look at it in a negative light. You could say, oh, well, there's, there's no venues anymore, and they've all gone on a business, and now we've had to resort to this sort of underground guerrilla way of doing things. But it's to me, being inside it, it's incredibly positive. It is creating an even stronger community of people who want to listen to real music and want to share their music face-to-face. Yeah, I think it is uh, one of those cases where necessity brings us a tremendous gift. So bring us one more gift from your CD, Kakalak. How do you want to conclude your song of the soul, Jonathan? I'm going to take us out with another strange word, Scuppernong. Scuppernong is a very small river in the east, sort of the coastal part of North Carolina. It's also the name of a wild grape. We have two different wild grapes in North Carolina. We have the Scuppernong, we have the Muscadine, and they are wild North American grapes, very thick-skinned, really tasty. But Scuppernong is its one of these songs that it's very difficult to define for me. It's a little bit about the fickle nature of human love. It's a little bit about death and the passing of a soul maybe not even out of life, but out of your life and the way we say goodbye to people and the way that people sort of come into our circle and leave our circle. It's almost like a, uh, what's the word, a cone, K-O-A-N, like a zin cone. Like, it would be hard to put an exact definition on it, but there's something rewarding for me in just the recitation of the words. There's something spiritually rewarding to me about this song, about expressing these things, about love and death. Before I start playing the song, Jonathan, I have to say, I knew the word scuppernong before I heard your song, because in southern Wisconsin, the area I grew up, Boy Scouts, we have Kettle Moraine area, where we have scuppernong river there as well. So I grew up with it. It's down home for me, too. (laughs) We're going to send you out for today's Song of the Soul with Jonathan Bird, with his song Scuppernong. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul love your music and next time when you come through i'll make sure i'm there just let me know thanks very much thank you mark this is scuppernong jonathan bird i am lonely darling keep me warm i am lonely darling Lay me down and hold me in your arms I am lonely, darling, keep me warm I am broken, darling, make me whole I am broken, darling, make me whole Broken in my heart and broken in my soul I am broken
broken, darling, make me whole. The song was Scuppernong, and my Song of the Soul guest today was Jonathan Bird. Website, jonathanbird.com. That's Bird with a B-Y-R-D. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org and I invite you to share your song of the soul with my listeners just contact me via my website and please join me weekly for song of the soul you can be happy let in the light it will heal you and you can feel you and sing out a song of the soul